You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the locals podcast made possible by our members. Coming up is the second part of our interview with Mikael Ribbenvik, the outgoing Director General of Sweden's Migration Agency. In this episode, we'll hear more from him on how the Swedish migration system works and some of the biggest challenges Sweden has faced in his time at the agency, from the 2015 crisis to the arrival last year of tens of thousands of refugees from Ukraine. I'm your host, Paul Omani. This interview was recorded on Thursday the 4th of May and asking the questions alongside me were James Savage in Stockholm and Becky Waterton and Richard Orange in Mama. Thank you to all members who support our independent journalism. If you're considering joining, we'll add a link in the show notes where you can find our current offers. And we'll also include links to articles related to the discussion. Okay, we're going to listen to the interview now. I spoke a couple of months ago to the migration team at the accounting firm EY in Stockholm, and they help a lot of clients in the certified track. And one of the things they said is that a problem that they feel exists is that certified companies are handled by a single unit based in Norrköping. I don't know if this is the case, but is that the case? And does this lead to bottlenecks? And are there plans to change how fast track applications are processed? What I think is funny is how low expectations people have about us. You know, we get, <laughs> we get all these tips. But if you only have one unit, maybe you could have two. <laughs> ah what no uh why, wait a minute wait why wait uh, this is great this is no uh, that's silly of course i mean we're talking about resources and uh it's it's a balance you know we're trying to keep up with the certified cases but we have all the others also but as i said we went from 200 to 300 but the problem is not that the problem is that the certification process is failing because the agents are putting everybody... So this was... Originally, the idea was huge companies who had return needs of uh, third-country labor, like Volvo and all these, uh, you know, they had hundreds per year. And they they had massive HR departments. They were even better than us on the, on the topic, you know. Mm-hmm. And their uh, applications were always impeccable. So they said, but why are we... You know, these, these, are, these are good... And uh, so that's how it started. And so it was like 20 companies in Sweden that were uh, certified. Then you had agents and then you have everybody. Oh, it's faster in the certification process. Now we have 640. And that's not even counting the agents who could have like 
20 companies they're working for. So this is a failed system. And also these uh, sectors that I was talking about where we see a lot of abuse and exploitation, they are 20% of the certification. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so it's fa so we need to change this. So we will continue with the certification until we have the other thing in place. But after that, that is gone, you know, because it's not used in the way it, uh, it was meant from the start. So, so then everyone will be dealt with by the same unit in the same, they'll be in the same queue. Not uh, now you're, you, you, <laughs> you're smart. You're trying to get me to tell you the new system, <laughs> even though I said I wouldn't do it. <laughs> well, we are journalists. It's our job. Yeah, and I almost fell for it. No, but in a couple of weeks, we will present it. Okay. Yeah. We, yeah. we look forward to that. We'll, yeah. you'll, 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 you'll give us a heads up when you do, will you? Yeah. Thank you. I will. We'll look forward to that. One question that we've been really interested in is the government last year ordered the agency to crack down on abuse, work permit abuse, work and residence permits obtained on false premises. And I think the agency was going to do an analysis of how that would affect processing times and how that would affect resources and how much extra work it would involve. And I, wonder, I mean, do you think that it will demand a lot of resources and how do you think it will affect waiting times? So just for listeners, this was particularly, for instance, people saying they were coming here to study, but actually actually coming here to work, for example. Yeah, we made a, a report last year, and this was on the uh, study, and we, f we found out that uh, there were like 80% or something at one university. They, they weren't there, they weren't <laughs> studying. They were driving the Fedora mopeds in uh, Stockholm instead. They weren't even living there where this university was. Wow. And of course, you say, yeah, but you can have uh, distance studies, right? No, not if you get a study permit to come to Sweden. No. <laughs> then you have a distance course where, where you live. And this resulted in last year that we had to do 3,700 study intention investigations to see, are, are you even, you know, are, are you going to study at all? And uh, that's a huge... Uh, so that really cracked the whole... Uh, system for study and there's a lot of universities with very strong uh, admittance uh, departments there's no problem you know so there's a few that needs to shape up uh, now we have to do it and uh, a lot of re rejections funny thing is that many of the people that still got approved they still didn't study <laughs> and they went <laughs> and did something else so so it's it's uh that's not what the, the system is for people attracting talent coming to our really good universities, get an education, hopefully staying, contributing to innovation and everything, and not this kind of bypass uh, to do other stuff, you know. Is it possible that your attempts to crack down on this will mean that approvals to study at certain Swedish universities will take longer than at others, or how is that going to work? No, unfortunately, I think all universities will see the drop here, which is unfair. I have a meeting tomorrow with the university association. The, 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 the head of the vice, the association of vice chancellors of Swedish universities or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. I'm having a meeting with them. So it's a common problem. So we're really trying to. But then there's also legislational differences between Sweden and many other countries. Like you can actually change track after I think it's one semester of studies. Then you can say, no, I got a job now. So goodbye studies and you start working. Uh, I think it's one semester. I'm not quite sure on that, but okay. So that guy is not do doing something wrong. 
So this is for politicians to think about. Ah, is that how we want it? 30 points and then you do whatever you want. Many countries has... Uh, I think that's the norm, actually. You can work a little when you're studying. Sweden has no limit. And you can also bring your um, close ones with you. So these are some differences. Again, I don't say what's bad or good. That's not my job. I can only say how it is here, the consequences of that, and how it's in, it is in different countries. Um, talk about permanent residence permits a little bit now. In the TIDA agreement between the government and the Sweden Democrats, the government pledges to investigate whether it's possible to convert permanent residence permits to temporary permits. And you said back in November that you'd be worried if you had permanent residency. And the migration minister later clarified that this would only apply to people who had come to Sweden as asylum seekers. Do you think permanent residence permit holders who move to Sweden for work can relax now, or would you still be worried? Oh, I need to plead the fifth on that one, because <laughs> I, I so misread that. I, for 24 years, no, maybe not, but for the last 15 years, I've been very careful with, to not speak politically. Very careful. I thought I was quite good at it. In that <laughs> TV program where I got the question, I thought that was a question that was like nothing. I thought it was obvious. I mean, it said in the agreement that they would look into that to transform it. Mm. And a lot of people called us. What's this? What's, what does this mean? So a lot of people were worried. Now I'm saying again and again, but I, for me, it's an objective thing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are worried about change. Huh? Uh, I said I would plead the fifth because I I don't know what I'm saying wrong here. But there are <laughs> people that are worried about it. I mm. I'm sorry. I'm not an I'm not an activist. I'm not an agitator. No. It's just they call our switchboard and say mm. what's what about this? Uh, it's uh, it's quite normal. I think that people get worried when there's changes about. So yeah. <laughs> So you did have you did have work permit holders on permanent residency calling your switchboard to ask about this. Well, all kinds of people. I, mm. I mean, but, but we're talking about last year when this uh, when the TIDA agreement yeah. was published. Mm. So a lot of people read that and what's what's this about? What's that? Mm. So everybody called us. I don't have the exact profiles of uh, the hundreds of thousands of people that call our our uh, no. customer service, but a lot of questions, of course. But to go to just to go to the the question. If you are a permanent residency holder who has moved to Sweden for work, is your understanding that you will keep now your permanent residency? Oh, I, I wouldn't even start uh, with that because you have to see that the TIDA agreement is, that's the direction, that's the will of, of the signing parties. This will be put into a, an inquiry yeah. and then we will get the proposal and then the agency will say, uh, this, uh, from a legal perspective, we will say this, uh, we will give our input then. But to, to give input now, it's too early because we have nothing to, to look at even. So we just have to wait and see what the, what the outcome of the inquiry is and then, and how things proceed. After yes, that. yes, of course, of course. If we can kind of hop back in time a bit, um, I'd like to ask about kind of the time before and after you became Director General in 2017. So two years prior to that, Sweden took in 163,000 refugees, mostly from Syria, Iraq and Afghanistan. And then last year, almost 50,000 refugees arrived from Ukraine. So it's, it's been quite a turbulent period. I think a lot of people would describe it like that. Looking back for you, 
what have been the biggest challenges for the migration agency and do you feel that there were political decisions taken which have had a negative effect on what was a well-functioning migration system in Sweden and if so which ones? Oh, well, that, that was a lot of questions. I, I will start with uh, attacking the question as usual. <laughs> so a, a very common thing to say is that we took in that uh, it's insinuating an active action. In Swedish you say ta uh, in, hämta. Yeah. Maybe ta uh, emot. Ta emot, yeah. So ta emot is more okay, but took in is... So first uh, thing is, the only people Sweden actively gets here is uh, the resettlement or the quota. The rest, they show up, you know. So there's no active. Uh, and why do people choose one country over another? Many reasons. You see in Ukraine now, it's mainly because of... Uh, family ties and friends that uh, makes you choose country uh, but it's also the perception of a country where and it's also the all the things that we start uh, talking about when we talked about Denmark what is your probability of getting um, family reunification what are the benefits and so on is the ec economy good or bad and things like that so people try to get to the country they wanted and back then if we go back to 2015 Europe was still open. The borders, I mean, we we were all Schengen citizens. We didn't care much about the borders. And, and uh, so that's why it's also wrong when someone said, in 2015, we opened our borders. No, that, we did that long time ago. <laughs> Actually, the border between Sweden and Denmark opened uh, 1954, I think. So a lot of people wanted to go to Germany and Sweden because they perceived those were the best countries. And of course... Sweden is a, a large country uh, on the map, or at least in Mercator's projection, but it's a small, <laughs> it is a small country. So we had per capita the, the most. And uh, of course, there was no system designed for that. Uh, out of those 163, it was well over 130 in just those few months, you know, 2,000 per day. And I was director of operations, so I was in charge of all that. So it's a, it, it, it was the biggest challenge of the agency ever, of course it was. And uh, also, what everybody forgets is the refugee crisis of 2014. Do you remember that one? Nobody remembers that. So we were well over 80,000 in 2014, which was equal to uh, Balkan, the highest year. So everybody remembers Bosnia and Balkan, 1992-93, everybody remembers that. Nobody remembers 2014. It was the same, it was 80,000. So we managed that quite differently. We managed it in a way so nobody really noticed. And then you double that uh, next year. <laughs> and now the system was full, you know, and uh, there's no blueprint for a thing like that. And the first months we were quite alone. Uh, ah, well, that's your task. Go deal with it. And then after a while, everybody understood, ah, no, this is bigger than... And I remember I, I said, uh, we need a big thing uh, in Malmö. What's the biggest building in, in southern Sweden? And that was the Malmö Convention Grounds. And I said, well, get that. Ah, oh, but they have a garden show. Yeah, well, we're going to pay better. So suddenly we had this huge halls filled with people. That was essentially a waiting area to get people up north. And, and one night we had 26 buses 
rolling at the same time uh, up north and everything was full so two buses had the the di directive to the bus driver was drive north drive slow so and sweden is a very long country which means that we had many hours to fix the next <laughs> bus so it was we were down to hour by hour at the end. Well, so they were on the bus, and you were trying, and you, whilst they were on the bus, you were trying to figure out what you do with them at or the other end. Or even where the bus was yes, going. Exactly. Oh my god! Uh, it was going <laughs> north. That we knew. <laughs> and and it takes seventeen hours before you reach the oh, the border. Extraordinary! Wow! Extraordinary. Yeah. So it was uh, no, it was extraordinary. But the funny thing was that when this started uh, last year with Ukraine, it started. It was much more in the beginning much more than uh, 2015 mm. it, and it just said boom and everybody was coming at the same time so we had higher numbers than we ever had in 2015 from the start then that uh, uh, decreased but in the beginning it was like oh wow this i never thought it would it would happen again and i was quite uh, i i was feeling quite low that day because i saw now, this gets super egocentric because the, the, the problem is the war, not my feelings, right? But I was thinking, well, we have the same system. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to procure reception places. It will be the same asylum oligarchs that will be on uh, on the market. Or well, people running these asylum centers, yeah, hotel and, owners. And well. it will be the same places. And they had barely recovered since 2015. And when we opened the first envelopes, it was the same. The small places, rural places, where there, there's an old hotel or something abandoned or something that you can use. Uh, so I, I thought, we're doing the same thing again. But then everything changed. First of all, the EU said uh, temporary protection. Yeah. So that meant we could take all the decisions, but no backlogs. It wouldn't affect everybody else, you know, in the way it did. Uh, back then so so that was great you know but then but people were still coming and we still needed to find accommodation a lot of them had their own so there was a bigger share this time that found, found their own accommodation can you just explain that a little bit how the temporary protection directive makes it so different from 2015 ah because 2015 you had to do a proper asylum investigation on every person so that led to very long waiting times obviously uh, because uh, you get a lawyer and you have to, uh, yes, what's the proof of that? Do you have this and that? You know, it's a proper uh, asylum process. Here it was, you from Ukraine? You have a passport? Okay, you can apply on your phone, you, you get your decision, boom. Yeah. And uh, today we even have the extensions. Uh, after one year you have to apply for an extension. That's a robot doing the, the decisions today. He's, he's, uh, he gets employee of the month every month because he's so very zealous and uh, he's doing all these decisions, our, our robot. Because the decision is binary. Are you from Ukraine? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Therefore you get... That's it. Therefore yeah. you're here. So yeah. everybody, it's, collective, it's a collective decision from the EU. We're just implementing it. But the big thing with Ukraine was that I wanted to change the system. When it's big like this, I felt it should be the municipalities providing the accommodation. Because then you could get a more... You, you get stronger. I mean, we're just a little agency. We're 6,000 people. 
the, the municipalities, commune in Sweden, there are 290 and there are a lot of people and they have uh, facilities. We have nothing. Mm. We don't have a, a sport hall or a, we don't have anything. We have to procure it. They have a lot, you know, and they agreed. Because they saw what happened last time. When the procurement system d- decides where we should have the accommodation, it is just totally asymmetrical. So here we could have a system where we could have more of an equal distribution and therefore equal responsibilities. Uh, most most communes were for that. So during the crisis, we asked government to change the law, and they did, which was great, you know. So now and. Then, of course, uh, there was nothing like we thought from the beginning that came to Sweden. and uh, So there's not that many Ukrainians in Sweden compared to other countries. But still, we have a super stable system now, and that's because we did everything the opposite from last time. <laughs> so experience is sometimes perceived as the ability to do the same thing that you have done before. I think experience is the opposite. It's the ability to do something completely different than before. Learn from your mistakes. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't characterize 2015 as a mistake, though. It was just hard work. It was so big. The the consequence uh, could be very bad in many things, but mistakes... Mistake is more like you should have done it differently last time. There were no system other than that. But one mistake was... I remember that uh, me and the director general at the time, Anders Danielsson, we were saying all the time, no, there's no crisis, there is no problem, we got this, we got this covered. And we kept on saying that. And I have no idea because we, there was a real crisis and we couldn't handle it by ourselves. And I thought about that. Why did we say that? I don't have the answer. But this time around, first day, first chance I got this first press conference, I said, uh, I was just rolling over and said we can't handle this no 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 this is too big we can't handle it so i i capitulated day one but that was to get the understanding this is big we need you know a lot of different actors in this just to go back to becky's question on political decisions that have had a negative effect on a well-functioning migration system i read an interview with you recently where you described how various governments have come and gone and they've all implemented different legislation so we have this sort of patchwork of, of legislation can you speak to that a little bit yeah uh, first of all i don't i don't review legislation no, or sure. governments like this is a good or bad government this is a good or bad legislation so i don't do that but what i can say is that we are really good at what we do, contrary to popular uh, perception. Without a doubt, we're, if not the best, one of the best migration agencies in Europe. And everybody thinks that as soon as you step outside of Sweden. <laughs> and we have well-functioning systems. We uh, abide by law. We hold all the criteria you're supposed to. And there are some of our colleagues that they don't. And you, I'm sure you heard about... Uh, the race to the bottom on migration. If you're the worst, nobody wants to come to you. Mm. If you're the best, a lot of people want to come to you. Then if you use these words, good or bad, so sometimes it's very bad to be good. Mm. But this patchwork of legislation, has that made has that made your work more difficult? Oh, yes, yes. It's, it's really confusing. Remember, I used to be the director of legal affairs. I knew this. I was good at this. Now it's very difficult to understand. 
and this will happen now because there's so many reforms uh, coming in so there there will be a lot of changes and they will be one here and one there and with all the changes it's very confusing so first of all we need to make sure that that our staff actually understands the the, the rules here and then the applicants need to understand it and some of these i mean i remember once the deputy director of legal affairs she came uh, this was the so-called gymnasialagen the high school mm. law or whatever so just to just to explain this is where um the last government uh, said that underage people would be al- allowed to stay or people who come in and, and done high school in Sweden would be allowed to stay afterwards and apply for a job for a short period of time if, if I described that relatively correctly yeah but my story so I just wanted to explain that yeah, yeah that's great but the thing is that when she explained this to me that you did so very well in 10 seconds she came with a chart that looked like you know the the blueprint of a nuclear power plant or something there were so many there were like 47 exits uh, different exits from this uh, legislation it was so complicated i saved it because it's a great visualization and i would like to hand it to you and say you want to rephrase that <laughs> is it that easy like yeah yeah it's if you're in high school you can stay no it was super complicated and so this is what we're facing now. This is getting more and more complex, more room for error. Uh, and also, I think there will be more really silly, unexpected consequences. Because it's not until you actually start implementing law on real persons that you see, but wait a minute, this one, he he came from there, he had a permit and he married and then they moved and wait a minute, and you can't foresee all the combinations, and then si- suddenly you have an utterly silly consequence that everybody says, "But what? What's this? This is, this is strange." And we would think that ourselves, but we would say, as we always do, "Yes, we're just following the law." Thank you. Given everything that you've learned in your time as director general, what advice would you give to your successor? Uh, I I wouldn't give uh, any <laughs> advice actually. It's not our no, it's not our tradition. I mean, there's a new one. I leave on a Wednesday. There's a new one on Thursday, and and that's it. So that is on other levels where you have overlapping or you go no. This uh, if you're director general, you're quite omnipotent. You know, in an agency, you have all the power. But uh, what I can say is. Um, so I have no advice for the advisor, uh, the Success- no, successor. Uh, successor, sorry. Uh, but I know myself what what is very useful to to be able to cope with. I, I mean, I always saw there's criticism or criticism all the time, you know. So you can't be soft-skinned, you know. That's really because then you get uh, and and I'm quite soft-skinned person uh, privately but in in work you can't because that will eat you up and you need to do the job and you need to you know relentlessly explain like today i'm really happy for the opportunity to to you know answer questions and even if that hasn't had much impact on the debate uh, to be honest but you always have to you know uh, stand up and say why are we doing this and admit when it's wrong and be fierce when it's right you know and all that you because no matter who it is you will always be criticized 
and you will be criticized from uh, from different angles. So, so some jobs are easy because you get massive criticism, but only from one direction. <laughs> Here it comes from all directions. You know, it's up, down, left, right, all angles. So um, you're too strict, you're too liberal, you're... Uh, totally. And the the I, <laughs> once I even got a letter from... I have a lot of pen pals through these years, you know. And uh, once there was a lady, I think, she was anonymous, but I got the impression she was an older lady. And she wrote about a case. There was a girl. And how could we ha be so heartless? And... God will see this, and, you know, it was a lot of things. Second paragraph. At the same time, you have all these bleep, beep, 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 uh, and really ugly words. Running around, I saw one, uh, what, why is he here? Get rid of... This was the same person. <laughs> so, you see, <laughs> it's, it's complicated, and you can't... That's another thing, not advice to the successor, but which has been useful for me. You can't make people, you can't make everybody happy in this. If you want, if that's your goal, to be popular, you should, um, you know, be a journalist and be a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm to make sure you get our fair share of criticism as well. <laughs> Probably not as much, much as you, though. <laughs> Uh, one final question. So after it was announced that you were leaving, you said you were in talks with the Migration Minister about how the government can use your expertise and experience to boost Sweden's international collaboration. Can you tell us what's next for you after your contract expires at the end of the month? Uh, no, not yet. Uh, I On that day, I will actually be retired. Uh, I hope not to stay in retirement too long very short uh, period and as soon as I have something to tell I, I will tell about that but uh, I can't today okay thanks very much for joining us on the podcast thank you very thanks much. So much that takes us to the end of this bonus episode our sound engineer on this podcast is Reese Edwards and we'll be back again on Saturday with a regular episode of Sweden in Focus until then take care softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.